This week we ask and hopefully answer just what is the law for farmers if a dog is worrying their livestock? Also fears Lincolnshire could soon lose its agricultural chaplain. Could other areas soon follow suit to save money? And as more in agriculture start to look at the use of drones to help with farming, we meet the brains behind a new academy aimed at ensuring you stay legal. Sunday, October 30th, 2016. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Last week on the programme, our agronomist Sean Sparling mentioned very briefly about the issue of dogs being off leads and potentially worrying sheep, and the fact that farmers could, in a worst-case scenario, shoot that beloved pet if things get out of hand. Well, one or two of you have been in touch since, asking uh, whether they actually can. What is the law? Let's speak to an expert. Alison Pratt is from the NFU. Alison, what is the actual law as to whether a farmer can shoot a dog or not? Well, shooting the dog would always have to be the last resort, Sean, and I know many farmers would not wish to do that. Um, But a farmer does have a legal right to shoot a dog that is worrying sheep or about to worry sheep. So what we're saying is that um, if you're walking your dog in the countryside, you must keep it under very close control or keep it on a lead if you're anywhere near any livestock. And livestock isn't just sheep. Um, It could be pigs, it could be cattle, it could be horses and it could be poultry. Um, or goats. Um, It's a very wide brief, this. It's not just about sheep, it is about all sorts of farmed livestock. It's not not actually the law that you have to keep your dog on a lead, is it, when you're in the countryside? No, the wording is actually close control, but of course that isn't defined in law. Um, What the farmer would see was a dog attacking his sheep, i.e. in the midst of them, and physically running around amongst them, and possibly even injuring them, and then he would have a perfect right to shoot that dog if there was no other way of stopping it attacking the animals. Um, And the the guidance that we put out from the NFU is actually quite... um, clear about this if there's actually no other way of you stopping the dog um, for example if you can't catch it or if the owner can't catch it or there's no other way of you frightening the dog away for example by putting a shot over its head um, then the uh, I'm afraid the only way to do it is to shoot the dog. Of course dogs um, frightening uh, livestock is a, is a major issue isn't it for for farmers? Yes um, it's becoming an increasingly uh, big issue, Sean. It's unfortunate that um, we're having to run campaigns all over the country now. Many of the farming papers, uh, the NFU, the Kennel Club, we're all joining together to try and get the general public to understand the the danger and the difficulties and the costs involved in livestock worrying. Uh, it's a huge problem. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, worth of loss and damage every year for sheep and other animals being, being um, injured and killed. Um, and it's just getting worse. And those of us who use social media see these horrific photographs of of animals with their throats torn out, their ears torn off, um, faces mauled. Because generally speaking, dogs do go for the face and neck of an animal. Um, The pictures that farmers have to post to try and get the message home that this is not acceptable, they're just horrific. And this isn't about trying to stop people enjoying the countryside, is it, either? It's not, you know, you're not trying to stop dog walkers from, you know, going out there enjoying the land, because that's part of what farmers do to keep the land in you know for us all don't they? Very definitely not we certainly want people to come into the countryside and enjoy the wonderful views and the wonderful land that we enjoy those of us who live in the countryside what, what is happening we're finding is that because uh, for, perhaps beaches are not allowing uh, dogs to be walked on the beaches anymore particularly in summer and playgrounds then you know perhaps dog walkers are having to find alternative places to, to take their dogs and dogs need exercise and they need play 
and they need training, um, the countryside is a wonderful place to come, so please do come out. But please do keep your dog under close control when you're near livestock um, because you don't know how your dog is going to react when it sees a sheep um, or a pig or a cow or a donkey. Um, it's, you know, it may be a perfectly happy and loving pet at home, um, but it might turn into a wild animal when it's left alone in a, um, left off its lead in a field with sheep. Um, it can be a horrific transformation. Um, believe me, I've seen the injuries that um, dogs cause sheep, and it is really awful. And one other area, while we're talking of dogs in the countryside, of course, they do their business um, take their business home with you because there can be health implications there for the livestock as well. Yes, there's some very nasty diseases um, which can be passed on uh, to humans and also to other livestock uh, through uh, animal faeces. It's worms particularly that cause the problems but there are also other organisms that are transmitted through a dog's gut. Um, Please do take your dog's poo home and make sure that um, it's regularly wormed as well not just for um, farmer's sake and livestock's sake but also for the dog's sake Uh, and don't leave your poo bags hung about on stiles and hedges it isn't very pretty and it doesn't rot away please put it safely in a bin and put it into landfill useful advice as ever from uh, Alison Pratt of the NFU thank you Alison well the man who started the debate is with me now Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services morning Sean yes good morning Sean we really started something last week didn't we over this whole dog walking thing but very interesting what Ali was saying there and it is also worth bearing in mind that just because you're walking your dog up a green lane it doesn't necessarily mean that's a public footpath or a bridleway a lot of these green lanes are by kind permission of the landowner which allow you to walk your dogs up them so just be a little bit you know cautious and conscientious and think about the wildlife as well because you may well have a very well trained dog but if you've got ground nesting birds and you've got wildlife that we're trying to maintain a dog can disrupt that seriously so good old alley and uh, it does bear a little bit of revisiting every now and then i think it doesn't hurt to just let people know what the rules actually are so Moving on to agronomy then, I've got a bit of a cough this morning, so apologies for my constant swallowing. Um, Let's start with oilseed rape. The foamer has definitely started to move. The light leaf spot has really yet to make an appearance. But remember your thresholds, I've talked about them before. One plant in ten affected on a backward crop, one plant in five affected on a forward crop. Light leaf spot is actually one plant in seven. We're nowhere near any of those, and you will get some good kickback efficacy from any fungicide, any triazole fungicide on foamer. Light leaf spot is slightly different. You only ever get about three weeks protection against light leaf spot. Hence the reason reason that early spraying in November tends to get you through the season because after three weeks it's cold enough for light leaf spot not to flourish. Um, so very few problems with um, cabbage stem flea beetle at the moment in my area. I have heard reports further south where you break the stems and there are already larvae in the stems, which is very worrying. And remember, there is very little you can do about that. Certainly an application of another insecticide would be largely useless. Uh, About the only thing you can do if you've got an infestation is put the sheep on it and let the sheep eat them and take them off the field. That's about it. Um, Last few hours left, really, if you follow the label for Centurion Max, you've got until the 1st of November to apply that if you're going to use clethodim-based products. And remember, you need that 14-day interval between clethodim and anything else. And it is way too warm to be thinking about putting propizomide on. 
you need the soil temperature at 10 centime- at 30 centimetres to be 8 degrees Celsius and falling. We've got day temperatures of 15, you've got soil temperatures well in excess of 10, close to 11 and even up to 13 at 30 centimetres in some of the more warmer soils. So you are way, way, way too early for curb. Remember, it will still work, but you lose 5 to 10% control. And who can afford to lose 5 to 10% control of a product which is, after all, tr- supposed to be dealing with blackgrass? So just watch that. Don't just stick it on for the sake of getting a job out of the way. Cereal drilling, well underway now. A lot of the blackgrass flush has got to a point where we're now starting to see half and one leaf blackgrass. This could well be the second next flush get that out of the way in warm soils and get the wheat in the ground from now onwards but do remember there is no point mauling it into the ground 20 years ago we had a phrase which was maul it in haul it off that was before we had issues with uh, resistant blackgrass you need a good a seed bed as you can possibly get because your pre-em stand a better chance of working if you've got a nice firm even seed bed so that blackgrass can't suddenly burst out of the middle of clods or from under it where no herbicide has been applied so don't force it in, don't leave it all laid over on the top because anything that things like prosulfocarb, flufenacet, pendomethylin, flupisulfuron, anything that those things, even avidex, triallate for that matter, if they contact the seed, they're going to do serious damage. So try and cover it up. If you can get a good seed bed, do, but don't just maul it in for the sake of doing it. And we are on the cusp of the autumn drilling getting stuck in in a big way now. So we'll see what next week brings. Sean Sparling, he'll be on the cusp of even more agronomy advice next Sunday. Last Sunday, you might remember, Lincolnshire's agricultural chaplain Alan Robson joined us, discussing the Harvest Festival service at the Cathedral and the farming year so far. By the way, hello if you're at the service. Fantastic, wasn't it? It's now been revealed the actual role of an agricultural chaplain could soon be no more. It's led to fears if funding is cut for the role in Lincolnshire, could other dioceses consider a similar move? The church is to make five specialist chaplains redundant in the Lincoln Diocese. As I say, the agricultural chaplain's role is among those that could be lost. It is hoped other funding could be found, but there's no guarantee Alan Robson will continue in the role. Reverend Bruce Thompson, chairman of the Lincolnshire Chaplaincy Services, has been telling Andy Marsh more about it. It's quite clear that the diocese um, have stated since May that they are unable to fund Lincolnshire Chaplaincy Services beyond this calendar year. So as the major donor for LCS, it meant that uh, we had no alternative but to reduce our capacity and, very sadly, make five of our posts redundant. Let me ask you about the agricultural chaplain specifically. And, And yes, there's a possibility that something may be kept going, but we don't know at the moment. Uh, I'm just thinking that this is perhaps a really tough time for agriculture in terms of the future. They don't know exactly what's going to happen regarding the European Union and exports, etc. This does seem to come at a particularly bad time for them. Absolutely, and uh, we wouldn't want to underestimate the impact of this uh, particular redundancy across the agricultural sector. Um, Our chaplain has been a tremendous asset for a number of years now and um, and has helped many, many people in times of crisis. And indeed, some crises have been averted because of the tremendous work of the agricultural chaplaincy through LCS. The project uh, began many years ago under the auspices of the Methodist District and has only really recently become part of the LCS project. So swapping my hat as chair of the Methodist District for Lincolnshire, uh, I can assure the agricultural sector that the Methodist Church is doing all it can to all it can to recruit a, an agricultural chaplain in the new year. 
So it could be the position carries on, maybe even with the same person. Well, it's it's open to uh, negotiation at the moment. We are we are still awaiting what 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 we need to do to ensure that uh, uh, everything is conducted a- appropriately and properly. Um, so um, obviously, the you know there may be others who wish to apply for the role if the legal guys tell us that um, it has to be advertised and uh, but what I can assure the community is that um, the Methodist Church will be doing all it's can to all it can to ensure that an agricultural chaplain will be in place in the new year. Bruce Thompson of Lincolnshire Chaplaincy Services. I'm Sean Dunderdale and if you're confused it's because you probably forgot to put your clock back overnight didn't you? Uh, We're talking drones in a moment. First, the latest from Open Field, and it's Henry Young again this week. The markets have been been interesting this week. Uh, We've had some uh, interesting bits and pieces in, um, with the US markets supporting our markets. There's been an Egyptian tender. Um, And actually, something quite interesting this week has been the soybean market actually affecting the wheat market. Um, So having a look at a bit more on this in detail, currency, big impact uh, ever since Brexit, the markets have been the currency markets have been yo-yoing as everyone's been seeing, but it has offered nearly twenty-three pounds of support to the wheat market since Brexit. Now that's having a bit a big impact, and it's certainly with the with the lower yields making things slightly better. And um, but also with these lower yields, it's actually bringing about more quality, which is making the the feed um, wheat slightly tighter. So which is again supporting the market. And it's also helping the export markets with his good quality wheat. So what, what, will, what this will do to the markets at the end of the season, we'll wait and see. As I said earlier, an Egyptian tender this week, 420,000 tonnes, which is broken down uh, between Russia and uh, Romania, with the average price being $184.30. Good price, and obviously this is going to be interesting going forward. Uh, just having a ca- carrying on with the exports, and um, the EU has so far exported more than a million tons more than it did last year. Now, with the reduced crop size, they can't carry on at this level. So obviously, we'll see the the exports reduced back slightly, um, but this will we'll see what impact this has. While just in the EU, something to take note of, and it's something that I have spoken about before, is the Ukraine uh, zero tax licenses, which are coming into effect in January. This is likely to have a bit of an impact because they've got 900,000 tonnes of wheat that they can put onto the market into the EU without tax. So what that what impact that will have on our markets, we'll wait and see. A little bit further afield, the US markets seeing some support from some funds, a bit of short covering. Uh, there's talk about US interest rates maybe swapping. So this is causing funds to swap positions out of short positions and maybe looking to the longer term uh, markets uh, and also, but also in soft commodities. Uh, Early on, I said about the soybean market. Uh, This is having an impact because it's pushing our prices. This week, we saw uh, the EU soybean markets both push over 400 euros. The first time this has happened for quite a while, so it's something to keep an eye on. So having a look at the prices for wheat, November 133 to 136, May 17, 138 to 141, November 17. Now, I think this is quite an interesting one. I think it's worth having having a bit of a think about. 134 to 138, some good levels. The Aussie rate market, we've seen some support, uh, obviously, with the soybean futures rising 1%. Uh, this is being lifted by the funds um, buying on the strong demand. Obviously, within the UK, we've see, seen that crop uh, down by 30%. 
Uh, the European outlook is looking quite dry at the moment uh, and we are hearing about uh, oilseed rate being ripped up further down the country. So this will have an impact uh, f- further on into, into next harvest. On the flip side, they are talking about record large crops in South America, but they are talking about it. So it may have an impact, but until the combines start rolling, no one really knows. Also, China's rate market is trading lower. Uh, this is because of the pressure of the announcement of 110,000 Uh, tons of of oil which has been sold from the state reserves remember china has their reserves and they do use them every now and again so looking at these prices november 344 to 346 may 17 350 to 352 harvest 320 and november 17 is 328 to 332 having a look at the uh the feed barley market it seems to be at the moment a very much unloved commodity uh, not being supported very well. Prices have been held back because of the poor quality that we had at the start. Uh, prices are seen to uh, rise slightly up at the moment, but globally, um, the barley isn't really moving. The small crop Aussie barley heading to China, um, but there is very very little visible trade at the moment to Saudi Arabia um, from the EU, so that has an impact. So having a look at the prices for, for the barley, November 16, 112 to 116, May 17, 115 to 119, November 17, 115 to 117. Just a quick update on the malting barley market. Markets this week have seen some interest, um, basically from the trade shorts, looking to cover their positions. Uh, now that uh, there's been some movement instructions and also uh, issues coming from the European interest rates. Pre-Christmas, values are tempered, um, but uh, offers of quick movement for post-Christmas are uh, attracting some good carry. Uh, I've also seen some discussions of uh, spring barley planting for Harvest 17. The interesting point uh, to further increase the, the spring barley area, obviously with people reducing back the, the winter uh, winter wheat planting. So current premiums for Crop 17 stand at 25 to 30. And, and also with growing spring barley, it's important to make those decisions early and also look to, to maximise it so you don't lose the markets further, field, further afield. That's fantastic. Thank you, Henry. Have Thank a good Halloween. Much. I like the mask. Oh, you're not wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Henry Thank Young, open field. That's me off his Christmas card list. Uh, Christmas, it is fast approaching and maybe on your wish list this year will be a drone but they're far from a toy and are being used more and more within agriculture. Now, a special drone academy has been set up to explore how they can be used safely, legally, and for the benefit of your farm. Elliot Cork is the man behind the Aerial Academy, which is based at uh, Honningham Thorpe, just outside Norwich. Elliot, what's the idea behind the academy then? When I trained up, there was only one company offering drone training across the UK. So I started offering drone training about a year after I became a commercial operator, so sometime in 2013. And then over the next couple of years, I came together with Jonathan and Ben, um, and we started working together and collaborating. And we've all got different strengths So in the kind of machines we operate. And so working together has, has worked really well in that respect. And we've been working to the point where we can offer the commercial drone operation, uh, the drone qualifications, um, so that's just happened in the last couple of months. So we can now run the full qualifications that are required by the Civil Aviation Authority for people to become a commercial operator in the UK. It is amazing how quickly these have taken off. You know, a few Christmases ago, they were kind of toys that people just were playing with. Now suddenly, like you say, for farming particularly, they, 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 they're they a, a key asset to some, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I've seen happen over the last 
five years or so I've been in the industry, we've gone from being sort of jack of all trades, trying to do everything, and now there are there are there are some really incredible specialists within the industry um, working in these different sectors. So in terms of farming, there's all kinds of different aspects they can be used for. So. Uh, disease management, uh, flood management, 3D mapping. And I believe you've had some crop scientists from the uh, Norwich Research Park um, have been taking part in the training as well because they see the key, you know, how important uh, the, the drones could be. Yes, we've been working with the John Innes Centre and with the Ulm Institute and they're mainly looking at partly disease management but also testing uh, new types of crop to look for things like, yes, disease resistance, uh, drought resistance, etc. So, the the drone firm is, is becoming a very important part of their monitoring process as they're doing their research. Now, of course, you have to be careful. You can't just get one of these drones and, and fly them wherever you want. There are certain uh, regulations, certain laws uh, about them as well. And again, that's that's part of the aim of of what you're doing, isn't it? To try and teach people exactly what they need to be doing to to stay within the law. That that's right. There there are distance regulations. There are overflight regulations which are, are pretty simple. You know, it's only a tiny part of the aviation legislation. And the main thing is keeping the public safe. Um, so, actually, agriculture is an ideal sector, really, for use of drones because the spaces tend to be big. The, there tends to be relatively few public around. So, in terms of um, the development of, for example, working these machines at longer distances and what we call beyond visual line of sight, um, Agriculture is a really good place to to test that, really. Now, you're, I believe, a former marine biologist, a science teacher as well. What got you into, into drones? Um, one of my friends showed me them back at the end of 2011. They showed me a video of a, of a Scottish company doing a bridge survey. And I, I did a bit of research around them. There was just nobody at that. There was, well, there was one other company in East Anglia at that time um, really, really doing this. And so I did my research. I, I teamed up with a, an Irish company at that time to supply my drones because there, there weren't many around at that point. Um, and it, it just grew from there, really. Elliot Cork of the Aerial Academy. A few tips for you if you are using or thinking of using a drone commercially on the farm. You should always keep your drone away from aircraft, helicopters, airfields and uh, airports. You can't go higher than 400 feet. Uh, you've got to stay within line of sight at all times at a maximum distance of 500 metres and you can't fly them within restricted areas without permission of the local air traffic. If fitted with a camera, they also shouldn't be flown within 50 metres of people, vehicles, buildings, structures, large gatherings such as concerts or sporting events. And if you are using it commercially, then you do need a licence from the Civil Aviation Authority and you will find more details on their website or indeed at dronetraining.co.uk. Now, you'll need the weather for flying your drone as well. So, uh, what's the plan for this week? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it's staying mild, certainly today. Overcast, though. Some sunny spells. Highs of 15 Celsius. The wind from the southwest, five miles an hour. Overnight, dry and clear, though cloud increasing again early tomorrow. Lows of 9 Celsius. The wind from the south, southwest, seven miles an hour. Tomorrow, much the same as today. Patchy cloud, highs of 15. The wind from the south, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Overnight stays cloudy with maybe some rain first thing on Tuesday. Lows of 9, the wind increasing from the northwest, 10, gusting at 20 miles an hour. And then Tuesday, a touch of rain to start, but sunny spells later. It will be little, maybe possibly nearer the norm for the start of November. Temperatures nearer 10 Celsius, the wind from the northwest, 15 miles an hour.
Wednesday morning is cooler with clear skies, lows of 5 Celsius, breezy as well. The wind from the northwest, 15, gusting at 30 miles an hour. And Wednesday itself, some sunshine, but cloud increasing again. Highs again of 10, the wind from the north-northwest, again gusting nearer 30 miles an hour for a time. And as for the end of the week, well, possibility of a little rain, but sunny spells too. Highs generally around 10, lows of 4 or 5 Celsius. So that's the forecast. Next week, we should get an update on the beat campaign from Nick Morris at British Sugar. Plus, we're going to continue our theme of keeping yourself legal. We'll hear from a solicitor on some of the pitfalls of what can go wrong on your farm and how you can stop them going wrong before the health and safety executive or indeed the police knock on your door. The law changes, particularly road traffic law, sometimes. And, of course, we're, all, we're ignorant of it, but the law requires us to actually know, and ignorance is not a defence. That's next Sunday. Until then, happy Halloween. Enjoy your pumpkin carving. Of course, some of the best pumpkins in the country are grown in our part of the world. Don't eat too many sweets, though, if you are out trick-or-treating. As always, have a good week's farming.